bringing you the truth behind the news. Welcome to The New American. Welcome, everyone. Thank you for joining us today. It's November 29th, and I'm Steve Bonta, filling in for my colleague Paul Dragu, who's still on vacation. Well, hundreds of thousands of Americans continue to be threatened by carbon capture pipeline land-grabbing plans. North Korea launches its first spy satellite successfully, and Thanksgiving costs soared to historic heights this year. We have those stories coming up, plus John Birch Society CEO Bill Hahn will join us to discuss the UN's Authoritarian Agenda 2030 and what we can do to protect and restore our endangered freedoms. But first, if the Biden administration has its way, as many as 40 million illegal immigrants will soon receive amnesty. That means amnesty not only for the 10 million that have sauntered, strolled, swam, and otherwise bribed their way across our southern border during Biden's reign, but also for the roughly 30 million who are already here. During an interview with Bloomberg TV on Monday, Department of Homeland Security Secretary Alejandro Mayorkas, who had, had this to say about dealing with undocumented aliens. It also doesn't address the other sort of uh, elephant in the room, which is dealing with the undocumented uh, immigrants who are already here in the nation. And I know it's been a political football as to trying to figure out the best way to address that. But I'm going to ask you, what is the best way to address that from your perspective? The answer is quite clear and quite straightforward, and we've been waiting for it for about 30 years. And that is to fix a system that everyone agrees is fundamentally broken, and we need congressional action, both for uh, the lawful pathways uh, that really need to be more robust in statute and for the 12 million people who are here in the United States who have been contributing so fundamentally to our country's well-being. They're our neighbors, our friends, our fellow congregants. Uh, they provide our, our frontline workers. Uh, we need to do something, and I, I am hopeful and remain hopeful that Congress will do it. The president, on his first day in office, mm -hmm. presented Congress with a proposal. It's amazing how candid he is when he knows he's speaking to a sympathetic audience. This is the same Mayorkas who two and a half years ago told ABC News, quote, the border is closed, the border is secure, unquote. When he testified before the House Homeland Security Committee one year ago, he also said that the border was secure, but that we are working day in and day out to enhance its security, close quote. He wouldn't directly answer the question of border security this past April before the same committee. But in May, he stood at a podium in the White House and declared to all Americans, I want to be very clear, our borders are not open. Yet unfortunately, our borders are open in contravention of U.S. law. Earlier this month, the U.S. House blocked articles of impeachment introduced against Mayorkas by Marjorie Taylor Greene. The failure of the House to stand up against Mayorkas and his law-breaking has undoubtedly emboldened him, so should anyone be surprised that he not only continues to support amnesty, but that the number of illegal aliens he would give amnesty to dwarfs his past proposals. Well, joining me today, as always, is Editor-in-Chief, my very good friend and also my boss and colleague, Gary Benoit, Editor-in-Chief of the New American Magazine, I should clarify. So, Gary, I mean, we already know what the formula is for controlling illegal aliens. We saw it in the movie Men in Black. Uh, they have it completely <laughs> under control. So, you know, I'm being facetious here, of course. But, but seriously, it doesn't seem like rocket science or even alien science to, to figure out how to close the border and keep, keep these people out. Uh, I mean, 
is it is it is it possible to to maintain this status quo forever to have a essentially completely open border and continue to have a country? No, not at all. How can you have a country if you have open borders? Uh, a country has to have borders. And it's obvious too is uh, I think you alluded to Steve that uh, obviously this must be by design. Our officials cannot be that inept. And so that begs the question, why are they doing what they're doing? And uh, the answer, I think, is multifold. But part of the answer is in the future, more voters, uh, more Democratic voters in particular, who will vote for the leftist narrative, uh, the leftist uh, agenda, uh, to change the culture of the country, to uh, change the country in particular uh, politically, to have more low-information borders, excuse me, voters, uh, who will uh, uh, basically supplant or overtake the electric that we already have and move politics much further to the, the left to bring about the new world order that the powers that be want to bring about. Well, I, you know, I, I think that's one way of looking at it. I think that's correct. I think mm -hmm. there's the, another facet to that is that this is the prescription for, that, that, that Marx and his fellow revolutionaries made a long time ago, that in order to achieve the radical revolutionary goals of socialism, of Marxism, you have to destroy every single aspect of social order, not just the government. You have to completely uproot and destroy. That's where the word radical comes from, the sure. word for root, right? So you, you literally uproot everything. And so <clears throat> it also, <clears throat> maybe at a more... Um, almost a more philosophical level. It makes sense for them to bring in as many people from, from alien cultures as they can and at the under conditions where they have zero incentive to ever assimilate in any degree. Obviously, if there is no citizenship or even formal immigration requirement imposed on them, all they're going to do, for the most part, is form their own ethnic enclaves within sure. the United States, and this will lead to the ultimate balkanization of the country. So this is, you know, they know that now, of course, I hasten to add, this is heresy in the mainstream media because oh, that's a conspiracy, that's replacement theory, and that's a conspiracy theory, and we dare not utter those words. Well, here. we have had immigration waves in the past, Steve, mm -hmm. and certainly in the past, there, there have been challenges uh, regarding those right. immigration waves, but... Nonetheless, let's not overlook the fact that the policies of the past with immigration are very different from the policies of today. Because if you go back in the past, uh, people came here uh, yearning for freedom. Uh, they, they came here yearning for a better life where they would pull themselves up by the bootstraps. They would learn the, the language. Uh, they would uh, study uh, the Constitution and embrace the Constitution. And uh, they would assimilate, and, and there was no welfare magnet to to draw them here. Yeah, that, that that's uh, an issue. And, and uh, what yeah. welfare there, there was uh, was on the local level. It was pr provided by by churches, uh, uh, provided by people in, in the community. And, and again, there was this policy of assimilation. And of course, today is uh, it's ra radically different. Uh, we have today a policy of reverse assimilation. Uh, we treat the people who come here uh, as a, a victim class. Uh, we attract them to come here via the welfare magnet. And, uh, uh, and of course, the whole thing, again, is being done by design to change the America we have into something radically different. Well, and the irony is that once upon a time, <clears throat> we actually did have a pretty open border. 
with mm-hmm. <clears throat> with both Mexico and the United States. And by what I mean, in, in your lifetime and mine, you know, we can remember 20 years ago, you could travel to either of those countries without a passport. Yes. To go to Mexico or Canada, yep, I remember you basically doing that walked across the border mm-hmm. or you drove across mm-hmm. the border and that was it. Mm-hmm. And people, you know, people thought no more of going to Canada on a fishing trip or a camping trip than they did, you know, going to the lake in the next county. You know, nowadays you can't go to Canada without a passport. Okay. Uh, in our grandparents' day, people moved back and forth freely between those two countries. I have, have like, like great, great re- grandparents, relatives and so forth who literally moved back and forth between Ontario and the, and, and the northeastern United States because no one thought anything of it. Um, so in some ways, you know, it was actually easier. I mean, back in those days, the border with Mexico was completely open. But for some reason, you didn't have bazillions of Mexicans and Central Americans coming to the United States. And as you point out, the difference is that, yeah, you could come here. You could sneak in illegally if you wanted to, but no one was going to help you out. Right. You know, and if you, even if you came here eagerly, legally, you had to pretty much fork your own Bronx, as Louis L'Amour used to, used to put it in his novels. Mm-hmm. And that, 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 that's completely, well, it's not completely gone today. But you, obviously, you, you encourage what you, you incentivize, whatever you subsidize. And right, right now, we're incentivizing immigration by people who are often have very different motives. Sure. And perhaps and, a different work ethic. And obviously, we wouldn't have to worry about uh, 40 million illegal aliens being here, uh, except for the fact that we have a policy that is designed to cause them to come here right. to begin with. Right. And, and sure. And, and that policy, it, it, it's absolutely critical to the plans of those who want to destroy our country that that policy not be altered in any significant way. Thanks, Gary. Thank you, Steve. Well, hundreds of thousands of Americans continue to be threatened by carbon capture pipeline land grabbing plans. Coming up next. In 1988, the John Birch Society produced a documentary so predictive it's as though they had a time machine. Out of Control, Immigration, Invasion was produced and hosted by investigative reporter William F. Jasper and looks at the growing problem of unrestricted illegal immigration that, in 1988, already saw upwards of 10 to 20 million illegal aliens within the borders of the U.S. Unknown agents from around the world using the southern border as easy entry. Certainly some are innocent families escaping hardship, but also certainly some are criminals, potentially terrorists. Is it not appropriate that there be some criteria for the entry of any sovereign nation? Why should the U.S. be different than Canada, Germany, Russia, Japan, or every other country on the planet? Out of control. Immigration invasion. Watch this time capsule of prescient wisdom at thenewamerican.com slash outofcontrol. Welcome back, everyone. The Wall Street Journal yesterday published an article entitled, What is the Future for Carbon Capture Technology? It's an interesting headline since the topic is so frequently ignored by major media. Yet it's certainly in the minds of hundreds of thousands of Americans threatened by land-grabbing plans of heavily subsidized private pipeline companies. The journal notes that there is, quote, a debate over whether carbon capture is crucial to meeting emissions reduction goals or is a distraction from the transition to renewable energy. Unquote. Notice the either or. Meeting emissions reduction goals on the one hand, transition to renewable energy on the other. Well, these are false alternatives. How about not worrying about how much CO2, also known as the gas of life, is in the atmosphere? Well, the journal article does admit that carbon capture is, quote, expensive and energy consuming and that approved storage sites are scarce, unquote. 
But that's a flimsy admission considering the fact that even eco-radicals like Al Gore openly acknowledge carbon capture to be a farce. During Axios' interview at the 2018 UN Conference on Climate Change, he called it nonsense and, quote, an extremely improbable solution, unquote. But if you're a landowner along the path of these proposed pipelines, the issue becomes very personal and very dangerous. Farmers in Lincoln County, South Dakota, are taking matters into their own hands, establishing a grassroots carbon dioxide transport and storage advisory committee. Their goal is a, <clears throat> a county ordinance that will regulate CO2 pipelines and establish setbacks. As things stand now, companies like Summit Carbon Solutions can run these dangerous pipelines right next to houses, schools, and other buildings. South Dakota farmer Ed Fishbach explained the importance of this local defensive approach and plans to subvert it in a recent interview with Hub City Radio News in Aberdeen. Let's listen a bit. I think the chamber has been infiltrated by Summit Carbon Solutions. I mean, I think he's basically speaking for Summit. I visited with local chamber officials here a while back and admitted to me that Summit has joined most of the chambers all across the state paying dues now. So I think he's pretty much been infiltrated and they're basically uh, speaking for Summit. And as far as uh, Mr. Owen goes, uh, I'm surprised that the legislature is surprised about their position because Mr. Owen, on behalf of the chamber, was lobbying against all of our eminent domain bills protection in the last session and they've made it very clear they're going to do it again one of the things that concerns me is that he said in your interview and and uh and down in yankton and again in vermilion mm -hmm. is what they're going to advocate for in the next legislative session and that is the most radical position that i've ever heard is that he said they're going to recommend now or support an effort for the legislature to remove the local to preempt the ordinances from our counties which is taking the away the local control from the counties that are elected by their people yep. to protect them. That's about as radical a position that you can get. Okay, Gary. Well, let's talk radical for a minute. Okay. If we're, if we're going to, to try to capture all the carbon or an appreciable percentage there of carbon that's, that, that's emitted, why stop there? Let's cap methane emissions. I'd like to propose that every restroom now be equipped with a methane capturer, right? Without well, going into further, further details, they wanted to do that with but, cows, don't yeah, they? Yeah, and of course we should all we should all wear masks all day so that so that the the CO two that we're exhaling constantly gets captured as well because that's a problem, right? And you then, have a carbon footprint. Once again. I have a. I mean, we're emitting right. CO two and all these other gases that are byproducts of you know being organic beings. So why not stop there? I think we should all be hooked up with this sort of equipment all the time to make sure that nothing emitted from our body ever contaminates the environment. Well, I mean, that's really where we're headed. When you think about what they're trying to wouldn't achieve, wouldn't the easiest approach, Steve, be simply to get rid of the people? Because well, if you didn't have people, sure. uh, then you wouldn't have to worry about the pollution that people are responsible for. Well, or at least, or at least, cull the population. And of course, right. you know, I mean, and that's the kind of work we might want to plan. Open, you know, the radical environmentalists were much more open and honest about that generations ago than they are today. But I remember Paul Ehrlich's book, The Population Bomb, and of course, we talked about that. I think in yesterday's program. We did. But uh, he said too many people mean uh, that means too many factories uh, means uh, too much pollution and uh, uh, too much all these environmental problems that people cause. And therefore, we got to radically um, reduce the population. Well, but the, I remember reading hmm, not recently, but there was a lot of talk about this back in the 1990s. This is this was the great cow flatulence era. Yes. When people were saying, well, you know, because cow flatulence is, there's so many cows and their flatulence produces all this methane and so forth. Well, I hate to say it, people can have the same problem. And there was an article that I found at one point, and this was really, I think, 
if memory is at least 30 years ago, but it, it said in effect that larger people um, are a real problem environmentally because they emit more byproducts. And we won't go into any more detail, but suffice <laughs> it to say the larger you are, the larger your carbon footprint is, as it's fashionable to say nowadays, and the greater your impact on the environment. Sure. And I remember reading this. This is a serious article. I forget whether it's like the New York Times or something like this. And there, there were a team of scientists that were saying, in effect, we have to think seriously about the fact that people are getting bigger and bigger. And they weren't just referring to the obesity panda. The fact is people are, as, as people's standards of living, living improve, you know, are, grow up better nourished. People grow up bigger and stronger. I mean, you know, I happen to be six foot four, so I would probably be in line for culling because, you know, so, so I mean. Well, it, I, it, I think eventually all of us would be if you look at the transhumanist agenda. Well, you know, I mean, I mean it sounds absird. It's, it's, it, it really sounds like does. hyperbole to, to our right. listeners and viewers. But, you said, but let's there get, are people that think right. this way. But you said, let's, let's get radical. Yeah, right? absolutely, absolutely. But, uh, but I'm going to say that uh, what is today in our times considered radical once was considered common sense. Hmm. Uh, and let's go back to CO2. Uh, you know, uh, I think we all remember uh, being in elementary school uh, at an early age being taught that CO2 is the gas of life, that without CO2 you would not have trees, you would not have plants, and uh, of course, by extension, you, you would not uh, have life on uh, on Earth. Uh, yet now we're told that the same CO2 is a, uh, a dangerous uh, pollutant. And my, my point, Steve, is, is simply this. Uh, what has happened to the common sense? How has the gas of life become a dangerous uh, pollutant? And, and to say that today, to say, well, gee, there's nothing wrong with CO2 in the atmosphere, my goodness, that today is considered a radical position. Well, it's also considered radical to say, well, you, you should have as many children as you want. Okay. Well, uh, I certainly have done my part in that regard, haven't you, I? You Steve? have, and so, so, <laughs> yeah. so, so, so you're also in line. Yes. To, uh, yeah. So, 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 and I mean, the population, the overpopulation conceit has been around a little longer. I mean, even when mm -hmm. we were children, people were already wringing their hands about it. Even before Paul Ehrlich, I think, because Malthus, of course, yes. yeah. has been around for a while. So there's always been this idea that 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 people are inherently a scourge and need to be culled and controlled and otherwise penned in. Um, as as, as, as Saint-Just, one of the French radical French revolutionaries, said, the people are nothing more than a herd that needs to be told where to browse. And th this is the mentality that is still obtains. Sure. And a, that a, mentality you know, was responsible for the reign of terror. Well, right, sure. Right. In, 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 in revolutionary France, and, yep. and given their druthers, they would impose something, of course, for the good of the right. planet and the good of, of them on us today. But it goes to show, I mean, that, that this what we call radical thinking is really a systematic defiance of all that is sure. reasonable and rational. So to say, for example, that people shouldn't have children is to contravene not only the first commandment that God gave yes. to Adam. Of course, if you don't believe in God, then that's irrelevant. But let's talk about biology. We were designed to have children. Sure. Okay, whether biology or by, 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 by random evolution, if you prefer that position. Either way, it doesn't make any sense. And yet now we're told you need to curtail children. And then, we, of course, we've gone beyond that and said, well, yes, but, but, but now there are many genders and, and we rationalize all, the, all this other lunacy. And this is becoming completely normalized. And, and all this, this stuff with this carbon capture and this, this, this just maniacal drive to control everything even the heavens above, is, is just part and parcel of the, of the radical mentality. Well, thanks a lot. 
Hey folks, The New American just released our latest collector's edition bookazine. It's called Self-Reliance, Foundation of Freedom. Without individual responsibility and the ability to take care of ourselves without government help, we cannot be free. This polished collector's edition includes articles on a number of topics, including the self-sufficiency of the founders, preparing for a worst-case scenario, firearm self-reliance, financial self-reliance, the importance of community, and many other things. The authors are all experts on their topics, and we encourage you to get a copy. You can order copies at thenewamerican.com shop or by calling our office at 800-727-8783. Next up, Thanksgiving's costs soared to historic heights this year. Sophia paused before the door. It read, Department of Bi-Digital Convergence. Just inside was a new world, a better world, the one of everlasting life, of no pain, of no loss, of no problem. She entered the chamber and her surroundings changed. She saw around her an infinite field of waving golden grain surmounted by cloudless blue sky. The AI voice whispered gently in her mind, welcome to the singularity. She couldn't see it and couldn't feel it, but her body had almost instantly been covered by a swarm of tiny gray multi-legged bots that melted through her clothes and into her skin. Not perceiving the nightmare, her eyes had already been consumed and the rest of her body was dissolving as the bots digested her flesh. She felt only a warmth suffusing her being. Drowsy, she drifted to sleep and her last thought was one of panic. Would she ever wake? Could a nightmare vision like this be an outcome of the much-hyped transhumanist technological singularity? Enter the world of the future as illuminated by the experience of the past in Endgame. The new book by Dennis Barrett, the publisher of The New American Magazine, and find out how the disastrous COVID pandemic response fits with the technocratic elite's thirst to create a transhumanist utopia. Get Endgame from shopjbs.org with free shipping with code ENDSHIP, E-N-D-S-H-I-P. Or get Endgame and the Great Reset Collector's Issue of The New American Magazine and get free shipping plus an additional 20% off both with code N20, E-N-D-2-0. Welcome back, everybody. Thanksgiving's costs soared to historic heights this year. In the midst of the holiday season, a cloud of economic discontent loomed over Thanksgiving festivities. This traditionally joyous occasion filled with gratitude and abundance is now tinged with the stark realities of a nation grappling with a cost-of-living crisis, making this Thanksgiving the costliest on record. Why did it happen? Well, it would be easy to say we have the biggest spender to thank for it. But Joe Biden could not spend the money he does without Congress passing the mammoth spending bills. The critics, such as those from the Heritage Foundation, point out the way the government kept spending big after the record budget deficit in 2020 exacerbated an already bad debt situation. While the big spending in 2020 was intended to be a one-time remedy for the pandemic, the Biden administration's decision to continue the spendathon and perpetuate multi-trillion dollar deficits has led to a cascade of economic challenges. A 40-year high price inflation rate, a banking crisis, and substantial losses in retirement plans all become the unsettling backdrop to this year's holiday season. Zooming in on the impact on individual families, the cost of the Thanksgiving feast became a microcosm of the broader economic struggles. Turkey prices have surged by 29% since Biden took office, prompting families to consider to reconsider the centerpiece of their meals. Traditional delights such as mashed potatoes and stuffing have seen double-digit increases, while side dishes such as rolls, cranberry sauce, and gravy demand an extra 26%. In this situation, American families have faced tough choices, 
trimming guest lists, preparing less food, or compromising on traditional favorites. This sad reality of Bidenomics serves as a stark reminder that the impact of government decisions extends beyond policy debates, tearing at the very fabric of our cherished traditions. Well, Gary, I guess we're being a dash of cold water in the holiday season, but we have to call it like it is. So if we, I, I mean, how can we remedy this? I mean, I, I know you have one potential solution, tongue in cheek, to offer. Well, it's not my solution. It's the solution of the, the globalists. Ah, okay. Because they want to get rid of meat, uh, at least for, you know, for the uh, the public at large. Uh, maybe maybe they don't mind feasting on steak themselves, do they? But uh, but they do see meat is uh, a contributing factor. In fact, they see it as a significant contributing factor to climate change. Uh, and so obviously, uh, if meat is removed from our diets and we have to eat lower on the food chain, then why worry about the, the cost of meat? Right. Right. Well, yeah, I mean, I mean, and it's multi. On the one hand, you have people who think that it's wrong to kill any animal. Mm-hmm. So the, the people, the, you know, the radical vegans over there. I mean, I mean, you know, if people sure. want to be vegetarian, but that's, vegan, their choice, that's obviously. fine. Uh, if but, somebody voluntarily wants to eat strictly uh, uh, a vegetarian diet, that's up to that person. And, of course, there are people who, uh, uh, rather than eat vegetables, they, they, they want to eat uh, meat and, and steak. Mm-hmm. And uh, most of us uh, have a diet that includes uh, all the above. Right. Well, I mean, I don't, I don't particularly eat a lot of meat myself. I do eat some, you know, mm-hmm. but, but I mean, the motivations for this are, are, are probably too multifarious to cover in detail today. But I mean, on the one hand, there are people who are morally opposed to eating meat, you know, because mm-hmm. it involves killing. Okay. So there's that. And, and, and those people very much have a say in, 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 in the broader agenda of the radical left. Well, they have a say as, as to what they themselves do. And then, and then no, but um, I mean, they have a say as far as the but, agenda but setting the, is concerned. Uh, the internationalists, the globalists, yeah. uh, who in fact are, uh, they will be assembling tomorrow at this COP 2028 that will be held in Dubai. Uh, part of that agenda is to focus on our dinner tables, uh, to take a look at what they consider the affluent American diet and to see what they can do about uh, getting meat out of that diet for the ostensible purpose of sa- saving the planet Earth. Well, and, but I say, but, and so the other aspect of that is that they claim, and there's some truth to this, mm-hmm. you know, that, that, that ranching, the raising of animals is more, you know, requires more, uh, you know, more intensive in terms of use of the earth than, than, than apparently gardening does. But, sure, uh, but a free, so, free enterprise so takes care true. of that, though. It does. All right, well, anyway, for our last story, official Washington is a buzz over North Korea's latest move and what it might mean for American security. Since President Biden took office, the Hermit Kingdom has resumed its aggressive program of military development, including the testing of ever more advanced missiles and possible preparations for more nuclear tests. It even claims to have achieved its first successful launch of a ballistic missile from a submarine. Last week, after two failed launch attempts earlier this year, Pyongyang announced that it had finally succeeded succeeded in putting its first spy satellite into orbit. It then proclaimed that it had snapped pictures of American military facilities in the Pacific, including Pearl Harbor. And then yesterday, it further claimed to have taken images of East Coast facilities, such as the Pentagon, the White House, Naval Station Norfolk, and the Newport News Dockyard. A Pentagon spokesman tried to downplay the, (coughs) the importance of this latest development, pointing out that, quote, there are plenty of images of the Pentagon and the White House online, unquote. The White House strongly condemned the launch on the grounds that it is a violation of U.N. Security Council resolutions and urged North Korea to come to the negotiating table. 
Well, despite the Biden bluster, the reality is that North Korea has no interest in negotiating with the United States now that Trump, the only U.S. president the paranoid North Korean regime ever respected, is no longer in the White House. And the successful orbital launch demonstrates just how close North Korea is to mastering all the technology necessary to deploy functional ICBMs targeting American cities. Well, Gary, in the time we have remaining, let's talk about North Korea for a few minutes. We, we, they haven't really been in the news lately since Biden's been, I mean, once in a while they launch a missile, but, but you know, it's mostly the focus has been on China and Russia and Iran, the Middle East and so forth. And we kind of, you know, they've, they've dropped off the radar screen, so to speak. But if there's a country, I mean, should we be worried about North Korea at this point? I think there are a number of regimes that we should be worried about. But what should we be worried about the most? And in my opinion, Steve, um, the biggest danger uh, is not uh, fallout. The biggest danger is sellout. And what I mean by that is we wouldn't have to worry about these enemies that we have to the extent that we do if it were not for betrayals on the part of our own leaders who are not working to put America first who are not working in the interests of the American people who have elected them to office, but who instead are part of a, a global cabal uh, that are working to uh, create this, uh, this new world order. And of course, that's the theme I go back to time and again, but I don't think you can understand foreign policy, and I don't think you really understand what's happening domestic, uh, domestically either without recognizing that the fix is in at the top. Well, and I mean, it bears mentioning that North Korea, the, the original Korean War, from which all of this this stems, which happened, you know, more than seventy years ago, was the first war to be fought entirely under the auspices of United, United Nations. Nations Authority. Yep. Okay, and to this day, the troops who put, you know patrol the so-called DMZ and who are, who are stationed in South Korea, the international troops of which the United States plays a dominant role, but by far the only not is far from the only country involved. They're all technically, they technically remain under UN authority. That war, not coincidentally, was also the first war, major war that we fought without a you know, constitutionally mandated congressional right. declaration of war. So the UN has been involved probably more intimately in the Korean, the, the, the constant never-ending crisis in the Korean Peninsula than in any other part of the world. That includes the Middle East. Maybe Cyprus is a close second. But, you know, sure. but, 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 the, but the thing about North Korea is that they have, over the years, done pretty flagrant things. I mean, they fired missiles into South Korea. They have, in, de in decades past, they've downed passenger jets. Uh, they've committed acts of terrorism. Yeah, they've been very, uh, very one, one time years ago, I traveled through South Korea. I stopped at Kimpo International Airport, and the mm -hmm. whole airport was under a lockdown because North Korean terrorists had just bombed the place. Right. So uh, this was back in the 80s. But, but anyway, if you go back far yeah. enough, if you go back to uh, our policy in post-World War II, uh, that policy helped to bring about the rise of communism in China. Without that happening, we wouldn't have communism established in Korea. Mm -hmm. uh, and then during the Korean War, uh, Douglas MacArthur, who was the commander at the time, uh, was under restrictions that prevented him from winning right. that war. Right. Uh, one thing that was done that very few people know about is the American fleet was put in a Strait of Formosa between Taiwan and mainland China to prevent Chiang Kai-shek from attacking the mainland, which of course would have helped uh, our war effort in, in Korea. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So I mean, all of this is pa is past now, and there's not much we can do about it. The present situation 
is that the North Korean beast is is in danger of getting out of control, I think. I mean, right. they're, they're very close, and they show no inclination to play along with uh, with the new world order. But it's a Frankenstein monster that uh, uh, we created. Very much so. Well, thanks, Gary. Next up, John Burt Society CEO Bill Hahn will join us to discuss the UN's Agenda 2030. Subscribe now for 25% off the first year. TheNewAmerican.com Welcome back, everybody. Well, with me in the studio today is Bill Hahn. He is the CEO of the John Birch Society. And he's here to discuss well, a couple of issues, but we're going to focus on something called Agenda 2030, as we mentioned at the end of the last segment. Bill not everybody is aware of Agenda 2030, what it means, what the implications are. What is it? Yeah, they should. And thanks for having me on uh, because it's, going to, it's something that's going to touch everybody. Uh, so the United Nations, uh, you know, so the, the other day you, you guys were, were talking about, um, you know, some of the, uh, the largest uh, uh, wealth transfer uh, schemes in the, in, in the world. Loss and damage payments. Yes, yes, yes the, the climate reparations, right? Well, I guess we can riff a little bit on the, on the UN itself and, and consider that the, U, the UN is the world's largest scheme to transfer uh, governance from sovereign countries to a world body. And the way, one of the ways that they can do that is through Agenda 2030. And all it is is basically a project that's got about 17 sustainable development goals. And these are to be, these goals are to be uh, achieved uh, through through uh, governments of their of their member countries. Okay, so back up a second. What yep. do we mean by sustainable development? That's another buzzword that p- some people may not appreciate or a- understand. Absolutely, yeah. So, so it's all about trying to save the planet, and we'll throw those ah, in air quotes. So this right? is this is an environmental. It is environmentally driven agenda. Yes, yes. Mm-hmm. Now we would argue that uh, Agenda 2030 isn't necessarily so much about the environment as it is trying to control the choices. Uh, that you have, uh, as well as then trying to uh, uh, legitimatize uh, the um, what would you say the uh, the the, uh, the power grabbing of the United Nations uh, from the uh, member countries in order to as as you know you and Gary had talked about here in, in a previous segment to build that world government into the into the new world order. Uh, so while you guys are are at the at the cop 28 conference then you are going to have a front row seat and you will be bringing that you know to uh uh, viewers and 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 listeners uh here next week in in regards to that and you can definitely tell us exactly what you know what they're what they're planning and um you know you you guys talked about a number of issues already uh, but i will have to throw in also that you know this is really nothing new so um, why why twenty thirty? Yeah, that's so, a year. What's the urgency? Ac- absolutely. So when you look at the at the previous agenda, so it's agenda twenty one, right? Mm-hmm. Uh, the new American was there in nineteen ninety two to to see all of this, um, and um, twenty one being for the twenty first century. Twenty first century. So the original goal yes. was we're going to have yes. all this in place by the beginning of the twenty first century, or very shortly yes. thereafter. Yes. Well, that didn't quite pan well, out. Well, they, they kicked it off on on uh, in two thousand, right? And so the goal was for at 2015 to have Agenda 21 pretty much, you know, uh, under under rep, so to speak, and, and out there. So about 2010, uh, the John Birch Society got heavily involved in Agenda 21, uh, which, again, had a lot to do with sustainable development. Uh, but instead of, of going through Congress 
and trying to uh, get, a, get a lot of that uh, done through, through legislation uh, on, the, on the federal level, they actually went through uh, many NGOs, non-governmental organizations, uh, that directly hit the uh, local communities and state legislators and trying to, to get them to adopt many of, of, of the initiatives that, that they were pushing. Um, and, you know, so we, we sounded the alarm, uh, you know, back then and succeeded in getting many uh, localities and cities out of a particular uh, NGO that was focused on, on, on getting these, uh, these, these goals and the, and the environmental initiatives uh, passed through these, these local ordinances. Most Americans didn't have a clue, really, of, of what was going on until they started to see that property rights could be affected, uh, you're starting to see, you know, all of these 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 weird things that uh, you know uh, you, you see in Europe that are that are now, uh, I, I guess, um, everyday things here here in America with the the you know the whole uh, things with with bike paths and and uh, things like that that we hadn't really seen before. Uh, the open space, you know, uh, that uh, they were trying to um, again bring to bring to the U.S. and and all these things may sound. And now the fifteen-minute cities, which we've talked about quite yeah, a bit. Yeah. Absolutely, you know. So, but these things may sound, you know, rather innocuous, but when they start to affect the the rights of, of individuals, this is where we have a huge problem, because the United Nations, again, really does, doesn't care about about people, doesn't care about the environment, none of these things. It, it is here to basically hoover up uh, the sovereignty and the and the governmental uh, power of its of its of its members uh, countries in order to then be the world government. And, you know, so, but these are things that can, that can be stopped. And I, and I think the John Birch Society approved back in 2010 or so uh, that we could certainly do this. I mean, we had many states that introduced resolutions to, uh, to stop and expose Agenda 21. Uh, even the Republican uh, National Committee at the time uh, had come out and denounced uh, Agenda 21. And it, again, if it wasn't for the John Birch Society leading that, I think many Americans would not even have a clue about that. Yeah, I mean, I mean one of the challenges is, I mean, traditionally, the, the JBS has been involved in this, this, this long-term fight against the United Nations for literally decades. I mm. mean, in fact, when the, you know, the JBS was founded back in the late 50s, mm-hmm. you know, the, uh, the UN wasn't even 20 years old. It was still in its infancy. And in those days, the, the major thrust was, well, you know, number one, the UN is you know, harbors communists, you know, of the Soviet kind, all right? And number two... founded by communists. And number two, they're trying to disarm us and take away our military, you know, basically create a world military and, you know, and all the, you know, grab all the nuclear weapons, Mm. put them under UN control. So this was the thrust of their, of of much of their agenda. Mm -hmm. And it it, it really didn't get, I think, was not as successful as as it was hoped. And um, this was probably realized... I guess by the pe- by the people who matter back in the early '90s, the f- President Bush the first when we went to war in the Persian Gulf and they assembled that big Security Council mandated international coalition, mm-hmm. and Bush made that speech saying, you know, now we can see the new world order coming into view. The United Nations is finally going to function the way its founders intended it to function. But then after that, not a whole lot has happened. Right. So much on the military front, and and there's been like a shift. You know, the, the, the Rio conference that, we, that really kicked off this current, you know, th- more than 30 years ago in Rio de Janeiro that kicked off this current, you know, th- emphasis on global environmentalism has really become the new thing. And it's harder, I think, for a lot of people to perceive the malign intent behind it 
Because if, if I say, I want to take your guns and I also want your military to disarm, you know, that's, that's scary Orwellian stuff and people right. can see that. Right. But if you say, well, we just want to save the planet. You know, that, first of all, that's a positive <laughs> who, who message. Who can argue with that? Yeah, right? I mean, that's yeah. a positive. Yeah. We want to save the planet. We want to save endangered species. Yeah. We want to save the rainforest, save the coral reefs, all these types of things. At, coupled with that saying, you know, and by the way, the oceans are going to boil pretty soon. All mm -hmm. these other things are going to happen. And it's, you know, be, because people don't maybe understand the science, understandably, you know. Right. It, it, th this has a much, I think, a visceral appeal that's much harder to resist. Yes. To say, what are you talking about? Because obviously, if, if you oppose them, well, obviously, you don't want to save the planet. Yeah. You want to trash the planet. Uh, as until you realize exactly what that means. Sure. You know, and we, we are seeing, you know, a, a repeat of, of, of basically, you know, 2010, Agenda 21 and Agenda 2030 uh, being uh, released among, or I, I should say being being brought down to the, to the personal level, uh, you know, of, of individual Americans. So. Now we're seeing, uh, you know, these carbon capture pipeline projects, which are, you know, basically a, a, a direct reflection of, of what the UN wants to see happen. Um, you not know, not to mention to the broader change. lunacy that is the Biden administration's yes. energy policy. I mean, yes. that's affecting people very directly. And people are starting to connect the dots and say, oh, wait a minute. Very that's true. because they're getting their mar marching orders from these international environmentalists at the UN who are telling them you yes. need to you know to shut down you know coal and, or, and oil and gas development and all the rest of this. So in regards to you know taking action how do we stop all of this? Mm. I mean all of this is, is basically local. And, and if folks work on the local level, they can actually have their their efforts uh, echoed and multiplied throughout the nation and actually throughout the throughout the world too. So we would say you know join the John Birch Society we'll show you how to do all of this. Work with your work. Work with your local elected officials. Update them on on what's all going on, and check us out at jbs.org. Thanks a lot, Bill. Truly, all politics is local. Absolutely. <laughs> well, thank you everyone for tuning in to another episode of the New American Daily. Remember to visit thenewamerican.com for more truth behind the news. And if you haven't already, get a subscription to the print edition so you don't miss issues like the one we just talked about. Enjoy the rest of your day, and join us tomorrow for another episode. <laughs>